And I'm gonna try and record this. So if you want to, if like you're not here some week, you should be able to catch it in our podcast live stream or not live stream, our podcast, which is not the same as our YouTube live stream. You can access it though through our website or you can look it up on Apple Podcasts. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a rich history that you have given us regarding the people of God and their pursuit of you and your faithful love for them. And Lord, I pray that as we study church history, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would be challenged to love you more through this, um, that you would uh, just instill in our hearts a beautiful picture of your sovereignty over your people and over all of history. Um, And so, Lord, bless us through this time as we're encouraged by looking back at history and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Debbie. Welcome. Hey, Aaron. Just trying to keep here, right? Uh, I mean, ish. I think... Ish, I mean... Yeah. Other than groups. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, real quick, raise your hand if you've studied church history before. Okay, cool. Raise your hand if you've, like, taken a class on church history. So for those of you who have, like, you guys have been more personal, like, personal reading and stuff like that. I've taken lectures, like, seminary even lectures, but just on Okay. Cool. Well, if you've done seminary courses on church history, this is going to be very unimpressive. Uh, but maybe it'll be a good review of what you've already learned. Um, for those of you who are new to it, I, I think it'll be fairly in depth. Uh, you know, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to hand out some notes in a second here. But real quick, let me just uh, show you a couple of resources. And I've actually put these on your notes. So if you want to do some further reading. Um, first, this is a, a resource that a buddy of mine sent me. It's called Casket Empty. And the, the title is just a, an acronym. So it goes through like all of the history of e- or Israel and then the church age in, in this acronym. So you have like... Creation, Abraham, slavery, kings, exile, temple. And then empty is um, expectation. I haven't memorized this one yet. Expectation, Messiah, uh, Pentecost. I don't remember. But these are cool because they fold out like this. And it's got like a real brief summary of the entire Old Testament and New Testament up through like kind of Acts. Um, so just a cool resource. Cause sometimes I'm like, man, I think I remember like when the Assyrians took over the Northern kingdom, but I can't remember. And to just flip this out is like a very cool resource. So it's called casket empty. I think these are each like 19 bucks or 20 bucks, which, you know, you might use them enough to justify that, that cost, but there's kind of a summary of the backstory to church history. Um, Bruce Shelley's book is probably the first that I would recommend to you if you're looking for kind of like an introductory read into church history. So if you can summarize 2,000 years of what's taken place in the church in 500 pages, that's very introductory. Um, but uh, and, and actually, I, I should say I haven't read this one yet. I'm planning to read it in anticipation of each of the weeks that we've been through. But I'm looking forward to it as a nice review. This is sort of like the intermediary. Justo Gonzalez has a two-volume 
set on church history called The Story of Christianity. This is volume one, uh, which gets you through the beginning of the Reformation, um, which again, I mean, you're summarizing 1,500 years of church history in 500 pages. But this is a really, really good read. I have read this one. I've read volume two as well. Volume two gets a little bit weird. Like, I think he's a really good historian, but when you get into volume two, the more sort of modern church age, he's got a little bit of um, liberation theology in some of his background, which we don't need to get into that now, but it's something that I disagree with. And But it's not like it bleeds through the pages. It's just, you can see it in the background, but that's not in this. This is a fabulous volume. If you're really crazy, my mom actually just gave me, and I, I haven't read it, but it's like an eight volume, you know, stack on church history. It's like, my, it's the Cadillac of, of church history. Who's it by again? Um, uh, where is it on here? Uh, Philip Schaff. So that would be really, really comprehensive. If, if you basically, if you really enjoy the next like 12 to 15 weeks, and this is something you really want to like spend some more time in, you can't do better than his eight volumes of church history, okay? And then the one last one that I would recommend, and again, there's more on here that you could look into, but this is a really fabulous book. It's church history, but it's from a spiritual formation view. So in what ways did these different periods of church history kind of influence the way that Christians engage with God? Um, so this is not meant to be like, history like a, a, a recording of events so much as it is to show you the way that this period in history kind of shaped the way that Christians think about their relationship with God. Uh, it's called Water from a Deep Well by Jerry Sither. Really good. I enjoy it, but it's, it's definitely different. Okay, so any questions on any of that? All right, let's talk about this question. And I encourage you to speak up only because I hope that the audio can pick you up and we'll know next week whether that works or not. But um, this question I have up here on the board, why study church history? Why should you do this? Like, why do this instead of just study the Bible? Any thoughts? I'm going to write them up here. Is that okay? Yeah, learn from our mistakes and what's come before, right? Is that what I heard? Um, absolutely. That's one that's in my notes, and we will spend some time talking about it. Um, we should definitely, I mean, I think it's just prudent for humans to know history uh, so that we don't make some of the same mistakes that we have before. Um, so that's an excellent reason. I think that definitely applies to church history as well. That's really good. I like that. To check the consistency of what we believe today and maybe even the way that we've acted um, or we are acting in comparison to the past. I'm not going to say it in quite that same way, but that's one of the reasons that we're going to look at today as well. Um, you know, people who have come before us have put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into learning things. And it is, again, prudent of us to look at them and emulate their behavior. In fact, that's, you know, even a call from scripture um, that we would look at those who came before us and we would emulate their behavior. The apostles in particular, but 
throughout church history, people have learned from them and learned how it applies in different situations and learned to live it out and exercise it. Any other ideas? It's like a family tree. You can kind of trace your heritage back, even, you know, where some doctrines start to split and stuff. And it's like, it does. I like that. I, I, uh, that's not one that's not really in my notes. But to look back at, at our family tree, our heritage, um, yeah, absolutely. It's going to explain a lot of like, why do Christians, you know, take the stances that they do towards culture, towards uh, politics, towards governments, right? I mean, we can get that from the Bible as well. But looking back at how people have interpreted this to, to live it out uh, in response to things going on around them. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Any others? Maybe even, maybe even, can I add to that one? Or maybe you're about to, is, um, you know, to look, I, I mean, like, I think it's fascinating to find out information about my great-grandfather, Gratis van der Linden. I'm named after him. He was actually a Dutch Reformed pastor, right? So it's kind of cool to be able to look at him and be like, that's a, that's a solid guy. I think the biographies that we might encounter of people through history um, could also be a great encouragement. And, and for us to be like, we're connected to them through the Spirit. What else were you going to say? You said uh, encouragement. I mean, I think anytime you study church history, it's you've been bought with the blood of Christ. It's going to persevere and just watch. You know, just encouraged by the perseverance of the church through all the trials and tribulations. Absolutely. That's another one we're going to spend some time looking at. I mean, do you ever look at the church today and go, what in the world? Like, why is this thing such a mess? Um, and if we look through church history, we're going to see that the church has, in some ways, always been a mess. I mean, you can go back to 1 Corinthians, and you can go to the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, and it's always been a mess. And yet, Jesus is sovereign over his church, and he says that he will um, uh, ensure that his church prevails. And so we can be encouraged by that. Um, we can be encouraged that, that they struggled and that they prevailed, that Christ was with them. That even through history, what Jesus delivered for once unto the saints is still what we believe today. Right? That's pretty amazing as well. Any others? I like it. That's good. That's actually my number one on here. To glorify God. I think it does indeed glorify God. I believe that the study of church history brings much glory to God for many of the reasons that we've already said. We see that he is sovereign over his church. He's good. We see that the saints prevail in all circumstances. We see that God is crafting all of human history to his redemptive ends. Um, yeah, if your spine doesn't tingle through this over how glorious God is, that he sits enthroned over not, all, not only all of creation, but all of human history, then I don't know what's wrong with you. Maybe you just don't have it. He glorifies God no matter who studies it, because even if you're not a believer, it gets your attention. Sure. It calls your attention to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on that note, let me hand these out, and, uh, and we'll go through them. And if you're listening on the podcast, 
I don't know how to do this, but I will figure out a way to make this PDF accessible so you can um, download it and review it or read along with us if you're in that kind of setting. Yes. So if you search for, if you go to like Apple Podcasts, if you use the app and you search for Maricopa Springs, uh-huh. uh, you can download it. At this point, it's pretty much all just the sermons in audio format. Um, but this will now get woven in there every week uh, as well. So it's just a Maricopa Springs podcast. Yeah. Okay. Are you or, saying you only can have Apple? No, no. Any format you can, you can access podcasts on. There's other apps that use podcasts. Um, so, and then if you don't want to use a podcast at all, you can actually just go to our website and all the podcasts are embedded in our, our website. So if you go to americopasprings.com, sermons in the top on the right-hand side, click on that. And then there should be options for either like video, which would take you to YouTube or just the audio format. Okay. So why study church history? Number one, to glorify God for what he has done and what we anticipate he will do. Um, if you were to study normal history, you wouldn't know how it ends, right? I mean, if you take a history class at uh, any university, they're not going to be able to say, and zoom to the end, and here's how it goes. But we actually can do that, right? We can go to Revelation, and we can know how this thing will end. And so we can give God glory not only for what he has done, but what we know that he is driving everything towards in the consummation of all things, Um, It's interesting to me that God is interested in history. Who's got a Bible and would be willing to read Exodus 13, 8 for us? And then somebody else read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Rick, you got Exodus? It says, uh, on that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So, I mean, it's a little obscure, but this is teaching your children the history of God's faithfulness. And we find that all throughout the Old Testament, that God tells his people, communicate to your children what I have done in the past so that they can have confidence and faith in me now. Okay, that's history. Uh, you know, it's, it's slightly distant from church history, but it goes back to the works of God in, you know, pre-church Israel history, which I would actually say is church history. But I was going to say, in that time period, they were even setting up little stones and, and stuff as so when people say what is that for yeah and the 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 technical hebrew word for that is the ebenezer right eben meaning stone and ezer meaning of remembrance so you would set up the stone of remembrance uh and what was that it's like every time we walk this path down to the river or whatever it is we see the stone and we remember god gave his victory over sihon and og in the old testament those kinds of things yeah that's cool somebody have deuteronomy 6 4 through 9 Rehearse them continually unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou tarriest in thine house, and as thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Also, thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house and upon thy gates. 
So uh, this is the Shema. People are familiar with this. It's something that the Jews recite. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But, but right after that, God says, and you're going to teach these things to your children. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on your hands. Um, you know, do these things to remember what God has done. That's, in many ways, church history. And God wants us to remember this because he is glorified in the acts that he has done to redeem mankind. Okay. Um, and I think I've got on here too, after countless generations, he's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that interesting? God identifies himself throughout church, uh, throughout scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like that would be nonsensical if he didn't expect us to know the history of the people of God. Um, so in order to really grasp how amazing that statement is, you have to know the history of it. Okay, so as you participate in this class, whether you're doing it via the uh, podcast or whether you're here in person, you're giving glory to God as you remember the things that he has done for his people. Okay, number two, to break out of our insularity and subjectivism. Somebody uh, want to take a crack at explaining what that means? The church has expressed itself in many different ways based on, on knowledge. I mean, I, I even think about the grace that we can extend to Catholics of old in the medieval times where they were illiterate and, you know, just have people telling them what to believe versus Catholics of today who can read their Bible and still hold on to their own doctrine. Um, just, you know, just allowing more grace for the way people saw things for lack of yeah. shepherds. And grace for the way people saw things in the past. That's right. particularly what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that it also uh, is pulled into the present in the sense that I think if you asked a lot of people in Maricopa Springs, like, hey, what, tell me a little bit of the history of the church. They'd be like, well, Maricopa Springs was started in 2010 and Grady moved here from Illinois and planted the church, right? Like that's not church history. Um, that is a little bit of the backstory of our church. But I think you could do that all over the place. You could go to all kinds of evangelical, particularly non-denominational churches, which is what we are, that don't have a denominational background, that literally the history goes back to the planting of the church. And people would say, that's church history. Um, and if you do that, then, then in a lot of ways, all that's shaping your thinking about the church is 10 years, right? So um, we can be very, yeah, insulated from what's taken place among the people of God for 2,000 years and further back than that. I'm typically going to say 2,000 years, going back to the beginning of the church. But I in no way mean that I'm cutting off the Old Testament before that when I say that, okay? And then uh, the subjectivism. Um, scripture obviously keeps us from subjectivism. Subjectivism, I assume you know it, but let me define it, is where the subject is responsible for uh, sort of the ultimate um, assessment, right? If I'm saying something is subjective, then... The object that I'm looking at is not where the final um, judgment comes from, what it is, but me as the subject projecting onto it, okay? So subjectivism, I think, tends to, to lead us to like be kind of narrow-minded, um, ignorant of what else might be out there. Objectivism says, and, and scripture is objective, right? I may be confused, but the word of God is not confused, 
Um, it is absolute truth. It is true in in and of itself. The subject is really irrelevant. The object is of the utmost importance. Okay, so subjectivism, I think, can lead you to to in some ways be a little bit ignorant to to maybe be tossed to and fro, like James says, by any wind of doctrine. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, let's go through these subpoints. Many Christians say are woefully ignorant of the history of their faith in the time between the apostles and their current church expression. Jesus promised to build his church, not merely the small particular expression of church that we attend. I mean, when Jesus said, I will build the church, my church, he didn't just mean Maricopa Springs. So it's important for us to look at that through history. See there, we cannot know the future, but we can possibly engage the present and the future better by looking back to see what others did and why. So that goes with, you know, number one and two up here to learn from the mistakes and what's come before to check the consistency of what we're currently doing. Um, obviously, humility. You know, there's lots of criticisms on the church from secularists that say, you know, look at how bad these people are. Look at how many times they screwed up through history. And there is truth to that. I mean, if you go back and you study some of the popes in particular, these guys were not God-fearing men. But it's fascinating that all through history, God has righted his church. He's corrected it. He's brought, um, you know, a renewed faithfulness at different points in time in response to some of those dysfunctions. And then uh, this maybe goes more to the subjectivism and insularity, greater perception of our blindness in seeing what's been important to prior generations of Christians. You don't really know the way in which you are um, ignorant until you're able to find some reflection that causes you to think through things differently. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis kind of speaks to this when he says that one of the purposes of history is so that we can understand the areas that we're not even thinking about, right? I mean, you're going to go back in time and, well, maybe, maybe one we could look at today, and I, I hope I don't harp on this one too much, but, you know, 500 years from now, if history continues, people are going to look back at this point in time and go look at the way that the church wrestled through the subject of homosexuality. Right. And we can look back uh, 1700 years and we can go look at the way the church wrestled through the topic of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Um, that helps us because for us in our minds, in, in many ways, that's settled. Uh, but we can go back and see how people have worked through it. And that's helpful. OK. Any thoughts, questions, comments on any of that? OK. Number three, to gain wisdom from the past. I mean, some of these are, are kind of interwoven. They're not entirely uh, a shift as we talk about to gain wisdom from the past. Will somebody read Romans 15.4 for us? Anyone? You got it? Go. Um, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through... Uh, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I, that's talking particularly of scripture, okay? But I think you can take that point and you can 
bring it into the study of church history and say, look, we can, we can go back and see what people have done and we can learn from that. As we look at point B here, it says, we can see where people failed and succeeded in their Christian walk, where they followed the word and where they deviated from it. There's a lot of conversation today in this secularizing, liberalizing church that essentially says, it doesn't really matter if we follow God's word. And we can go back through church history and go, no, look at these points where the people of God abandoned the word of God and look at how utterly destructive it was to the people of God, right? And we can say, no, we're not going to follow that path as we engage with scripture and with the world. Um, Number C, how do the problems that we see today get addressed in the past? So I, I don't know if you realize this, but I've got a couple of examples there. Many of the heresies that are prominent today in the church are old heresies. They're not new. And we can go back through church history and we can go, well, this is how the people of God dealt with this heresy previously. So Christian science is a reinvention of Gnosticism. You have the concepts of dualism and salvation through knowledge. Christian science, I think, is kind of waning, but... Um, yeah. Okay. The next one, Jehovah's Witnesses, they follow a reinvention of Arianism. I remember, and maybe I've sh- shared this story with some of you before, but I remember being in a Starbucks one day and I've got my Bible open and here comes this nice little old Jehovah's Witness lady and she starts talking to me. It's obvious she's a Jehovah's Witness. And I just say, hey, did you know that, that what you believe is actually an ancient heresy called Arianism that we've already dealt with as Christians 1,700 years ago, 1,600 years ago? And she just like gave me this dumbfounded look. She had no idea what I was talking about, right? But Arianism, this concept that Jesus is not God, he was created by God. And if you spend more than five minutes talking with a Jehovah's Witness, they're going to take you to um, John chapter 1 where it says... You know, that uh, Jesus, or I'm sorry, maybe they'll take you to uh, Colossians that says he's the firstborn of all creation. Or there's a discrepancy there in John that they've, they've really messed up in the Greek. Um, but you get into that conversation. Jesus was created. It's like, guys, we already dealt with this. I don't need to reopen it. I don't need to figure this out for myself. I can go back and see what the church said in response to that. Mormonism resembles ancient polytheism. Mormons say that they're basically Christians, but they're polytheistic. In fact, they're more polytheistic than even uh, Hindus would be because every person is a god. Okay, Again, we've dealt with that, dealing with paganism in in ancient church history. Even things like church-state relations. We're going to look a little bit at Constantine's Edict of Milan and William Penn in Pennsylvania. Just the way that the church interacted with the state. We can learn from that as we do church history. Okay? Thoughts, questions, comments on any of that before we go on? Okay. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, Man, thinking through some of this stuff can be really hard. And instead of doing all that hard work ourselves, we can go back and we can look at what other people uh, thought through this stuff. Um, I remember somebody explaining to me that there's two ways to get wisdom. You can either run full steam ahead against you know, headfirst against a wall to learn that it hurts. Or you can have somebody who's come before you tell you, that's a really bad idea. I can tell you that it hurts, right? If you have children, you're watching them do this themselves. You have to constantly explain to them, I'm going to tell you this and I promise you, it's going to be better for you if you just listen to me. Uh, Tragically, unfortunately, a lot of times they go and wound themselves by trying to figure it out for themselves. We don't have to do that. We can look back at church history and go, here's an opportunity for us to learn and not suffer pain 
by taking the wisdom that others have worked hard to, to get. Um, you know, there's that old phrase, E there, those who do not learn from history are prone to repeat it. Or in some versions of that, doomed to repeat it. And there's another great quote. I, I love this. Uh, it's better to learn and then live than to live and learn. That's good. That's very good. Yes. And, you know, the first place we do that is obviously Scripture. But we can, again, see the way in which people have applied the teachings of Scripture to real-life situations through history, and that's helpful. Um, one thing that we as Christians assert is that man's nature is the same from generation to generation, and that nature is fallen. And so it should not surprise us if one day there is another iteration of something like the Holocaust. Why? Because even though we may look at that and go, that was a horrendous thing, man is bent towards evil naturally. I'm going to talk about this quite a bit in my, not quite a bit, a little bit in my sermon today. Secularism says man is actually inherently good. And so they, they think that we can look at history and we won't be prone to repeat the things in the past. Or we don't even need to know history because all of human history is moving towards a trajectory of better goodness, uh, a utopian kind of society. But we as Christians say, no, human nature is fallen. And so it helps us to study the past so that we don't make those mistakes again. Um, Christianity asserts that history is linear and not cyclical. So that's also important. Because we can look back at history and go, we should not expect that the exact thing will repeat itself because God has said that history is not cyclical. It's not going to repeat like the Hindus or the Buddhists believe, but it's actually going to come to an end. Um, and then God has a plan for redemption that's being consistently revealed in each generation. That's really cool. God, what God is doing in this generation is unique to this generation and it uniquely glorifies him. Um, even though God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the way in which he interacts with his people is his mercies are new every morning. So that's very cool. Okay, any other thoughts, comments on that? Yeah, yeah Debbie. Yeah, number two, history is linear, not cyclical. Well, it is cyclical in, in many ways, but you're, you mean it's not going to be eternally cyclical. Is that what, what you mean? Yes, so like as opposed to the view of the Hindus and the Buddhists that say that there's reincarnation, and, you know, literally they believe that history is just like a turning wheel. Um, and actually, I mean, there's more, you know, Western mysticism that is moving towards that as well as more people are exposed in the West to like Eastern thinking. But Christianity says, no, there's a definite beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's a definite ending, right? And that comes at the end of the book of Revelation. It's like this. Yeah, maybe little little circles that, you know, the fallenness of man continues to produce these same kinds of outcomes. But it's not like when we get to the end, it just flips over and starts again. Okay, good question. Four, to gain confidence in the sovereign goodness of God and confidence that we are part of his plan to build his kingdom. Studying church history reminds us that even though great kings have come and gone, God is still in control. That even though kingdoms have risen and fallen, God is in control. I mean, just to be honest with you guys, like my, my perspective is just watching recent political events that America as it has been over the last 250 years is declining. It's coming to an end. And I don't mean the prosperity aspect. I mean the kind of thinking that produced this country. 
And if my hope was set in a nation, that would be despairing. But I can look at church history and see nations have risen and fallen. Leaders have come and gone. But Jesus endures forever. And the word of the Lord endures forever, right? So I don't need to despair over these things. Um, And even in the midst of crazy oppression, crazy persecution, uh, you know, oppressive governments, things where it's really hard to get the gospel out, the church still flourishes. I mean, I hope you know that one of the places where the church is growing most in the world right now is in China, where it's basically illegal to be a Bible-believing Christian. So God is building his church. That's cool. Number five, to observe the work of the Holy Spirit through time. Um, in many ways, uh, and we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, I think the way that Acts ends, so, so in, in some ways, one of the ways that you could lay out Scripture is, and, and I want to be kind of careful here because this is in, in absolute terms, but in some ways, the way that you could lay out Scripture is the Old Testament is the story of God the Father, The Gospels are the story of Christ the Son, and Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit in the work of the church, okay? Um, And the way Acts ends is very uh, inconclusive. It doesn't really give us a final end. And so I think the point of that is to say, is, is God sort of communicating to his people that the work of the Spirit is now going to continue through the church in history. Um, And that story is being written by each successive generation. So we get to observe the work of the Holy Spirit through time. Uh, History, this is a history of the deeds of the Spirit through the men and women who have gone before us. That's cool. And then uh, at times it may be here, at times it may appear to us that the church has forsaken the biblical faith. But we need to remember that even in the darkest times of the life of the church, there were those Christians who loved, studied, kept, and copied the scriptures and gifted them onto us. Why is it that you have a Bible? It's primarily because the Holy Spirit has worked in the lives of people to make sure that that word is preserved through human history. That's a beautiful thing. Any other thoughts on that one? Okay, is it just mirrors are a little warm in here? It's warm. Should we crack the door open? Let me do that. Then we're going to be freezing. Okay, number uh, six here. I find a lot of encouragement in church history because God uses sinners for his purposes, for his glory. Um, Just like when you study scripture, there's really only one hero in scripture. It's Jesus. I mean, the closest person to him would probably be Joseph, I think, uh, as far as no record of major flaws. Um, But uh, Jesus is definitely unique. And so there's encouragement in reading scripture because we see that God uses people who are flawed, who are sinners for his glory. Church history is going to give us a similar kind of record. God's going to use people not because of their righteousness, but in spite of their sinfulness. And that's also an encouragement to us. Um, and then number seven, to acknowledge that we are making history. 
this sort of goes back to some of the things that we've said, you know, up here related to points one and two that we can learn from the mistakes and things like that. But we're making history. You know, there's going to come a point where several hundred years from now, people are going to look back at this point in church history and they're going to reflect on what Christians did in response to the way the culture is changing, the way the world is moving. And they're hopefully going to find some wisdom and they're also going to see some some failures. Um, and so we need to acknowledge that we are actually writing a page in this book. Okay, general open questions, comments. I think in some ways we kind of hit all of these, right? All the things that we put up on the board. Maybe I could go a little bit more into the heritage or family tree thing. Um, but I think in some ways we touched on some of that. Okay, well, we actually managed to get through all of this much quicker than I thought we would. Um, next week, I think... So, I, I'm I, as I said in my email, there's going to be like eight or nine parts to this class. We basically just finished kind of an introduction. Um, and I can't really tell you when the class will end because it just depends on how quick we go, whether we take some rabbit trails, whether we have some in-depth discussion. But I think we'll be something like 12 to 16 weeks. Um, and I hope that you'll join us each of those weeks. If for some reason you can't, you'll be able to catch up. And I'll try and post PDFs of everything that we're covering uh, to where the podcasts are so that you can access that. Next week, we're going to get into um, the Acts of the Apostles and Jesus saying, I will build my church. And I think it'll probably take us two weeks to get through that. But we'll do kind of like a summary of Acts and the beginning of the church as it spread through um, you know, the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire in particular. Any general questions? Closing comments, thoughts? Thank you for your labor. Okay, absolutely. I, I, this has been a blast. Does anybody want to, uh, when we're done, I'll, I'll pray for us. And if you want to come up and check out any of the books or resources that I brought, um, you could do that. I didn't bring the eight-volume set because who wants to haul that around? That's just stupid. Um, and I haven't read it, so I feel deceptive. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through Scripture and that through history, your people have clung to your word as the, the wisdom of God, the word of God, the, this revelation of God. And we thank you that that revelation goes beyond just a book, that it goes into the incarnation of Christ, who was the living word. And we thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, like Jesus said. You sent us the Holy Spirit to ensure that your church would prevail and that your people would persevere. And I pray that we would be encouraged and inspired by these things as we study church history. Um, Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of your people through time and the rich traditions that they preserved for us, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that they spilled to make sure that we would have access to the scriptures. Um, we thank you for the example they set for us as they wrestled through the application of your word in various contexts. 
we just thank you for these things. And I pray that you would bless us as we go through this class together in Christ's name. Amen.